Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN, and Arizona Cardinals broadcaster, Dave Pash. Our guest this week is first-year Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator Nick Rollis. Nick is the youngest coordinator in the NFL. He just turned 30 years of age a month ago, and we'll talk with him about how he got into coaching to begin with, his experience with the Minnesota Vikings, and then the Philadelphia Eagles working with Jonathan Gannon and Nick Sirianni. We'll also talk with Coach Rollis about some of the current players he's mentoring, including Zabin Collins and the growth that Rollis is seeing in Collins so far in camp. What I love that I've seen from him when he's on the edge is I think you can kind of let it loose a little bit more when you're playing with a little bit less vision on everything. Your, your vision shrinks a little bit on the edge and, and you can let your physical tools completely take over. And I'm seeing him just use those tools and go make plays off the edge. We'll also talk with Nick about his famous brother, Mike Rollis, who goes by Riddick Moss as a professional wrestler. And the two had some battles growing up that we'll get into as well. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casino. Sign up today with BetMGM, the official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Use code CARDS1000 and get back up to $1,000 in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager, Arizona only, new customer offer. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, time for our conversation with a very entertaining young coach, Nick Rollis, defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. So, Coach, I actually want to start with what we were just talking about off the air, uh, talking about my voice, which this is how I talk normally, but obviously during a game, you, you change it like a little bit, but I'm kind of used to it. And so I was asking you, when you are calling the defense because when the crowd's really loud like in an outdoor football game I probably have to talk a little bit louder as opposed to like an indoor basketball game do you feel like you are you talking the same all the time well when you're talking to the players on the sideline if it's loud you have to talk a little bit louder but when you're actually sending the call in to the green dot, you don't want to raise your voice just because the crowd is loud because, you know, your your mouth is right up next to that mic and it's going to be screaming in that guy. His microphone is right in his ear. So you just want to talk normal because otherwise it's going to sound a little distorted and also kind of hurt his eardrums maybe. So you got to be able to just give the call flatline normal. And how did it go last weekend? First time doing it in a game. It was, it was good. Um, you know, you're used to doing it in practice. Like you're just you're giving the calls. It's it's normal. You know, JG's great advice to me was make sure you hit the button. Right, that's the key. <laughs> <laughs> hit the button. Got so it. it's like here, just turn it. Make sure the mic is on before you start talking. Yeah, well, like you have to you have to hold it down, and you hear like a and that means it's on, and you got to give the call. You got to hold. You got to keep it holding down, and then you know it at 15 seconds it goes out so you'll start getting like beeps like you're out you can't right. talk into it anymore right and and so you want to make sure you don't start giving the call before you hit the button otherwise they're not going to hear correct it's crazy to think that this stuff probably happens right there are probably times in games when you see guys are not sure if they got the call something like that oh yeah happen, that, right? that happens our backers do a really good job of they'll just stay in the huddle right there but they'll put their hand they'll put their hand up and they'll kind of start hey one more time and, you know, if I'm not looking at it, somebody is, and they're saying, hey, he needs it again. And I'll, ah, 
you know? <laughs> and I give it to him again, but that can happen. Like okay. it's it's not perfect. There's, it's a microphone, and maybe they maybe they were just someone was talking to them, and they didn't get it clear. Hey, well, I need one more time, coach. You know, so that happens. It's interesting. We we had our production meeting for the TV broadcast last week with JG and asked him if he's going to miss calling plays. And he said, in a way, yes, because it's fun. But then he said, but Nick is better than I am. <laughs> I mean, you've been around him the last couple of years. I don't think he would have just said that. It well, wasn't, you know, it was on the record, but it wasn't on the air when he said it. He didn't have to say that. I mean, that's quite a compliment. Yeah, JG's. I think he would. I think he feels that from our entire staff is just is very good at doing what they're supposed to do. Everyone's very good at their job, and he expresses that to us, which is which is huge. You know, he's a very complimentary person where, when he really believes it. It's it's genuine, and so just you know, for for you to say that, I don't know. He said that. That's that's a great compliment. Uh, I think he'd say really good things about a lot of people on the staff. So you're 30 years old, and you just turned 30. You're the youngest coordinator in the NFL. You got hired in the spring or the winter, whatever that was exactly, and, and your birthday was in July. It was. So you just turned 30. So you got hired at the same age that I did. I was 29. I've been here 22 years. So as you look at my hair, which no longer exists, this is what you have to look forward to if you're still know. here in 20 years. I don't know about that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Give me time. We'll see. But at age 29, and it was interesting because I remember when he got hired, there were a lot of reports from respected NFL people saying, hey, if the Cardinals didn't make this move, somebody else was going to take them. Like, you were very well thought of around the league. This wasn't just a JG thing. When did you, first of all, decide that this is what you wanted to do? Because you just got done playing like seven years ago. Yep. Um, I didn't decide until I was done playing. Um, you know, when I was playing, obviously my goals were to, to make it to the NFL and, you know, I, you know, I probably kind of towards the end of my college career, probably saw that that wasn't going to happen, but you don't tell yourself that as a player, you just keep pushing and you start to think about other possibilities that you might want to do. But I didn't ultimately make that decision until I was completely done playing. And, you know, once I made that decision, I was either going to do get into coaching or I knew I wanted to maybe get into the strength and conditioning, physical preparation realm, whether that was with a, with a club, a team, um, or just a, a business on my own. And honestly, the guy who convinced me to get into coaching was our director of performance, Shay Thompson. Yeah. He said, he told me like I, what I loved about the thought of being around the athlete is I, I, I appreciate the preparation process. I appreciate it as a player. It was something that I went to school for. Um, and obviously, like, when you're in school, you're, you're when you're playing, you're getting your Ph.D. in football as well. But, you know, I got my um, graduate degree in sport and exercise science, and I didn't know which route I wanted to take it. And he told me, if you really want to have the greatest influence on the player, go be a coach. Because ultimately, if you can get into a position of, you know, decision-making – you'll be able to get the most out of those guys. So you uh, and I want to talk about your playing career. So in 2017 you go to Wake Forest. I think one of the most underrated coaches in college football is Dave Clawson. 
They do a great job there. So yeah. tell me, why Wake Forest after playing at Minnesota, and what about that experience? It was just one year, right, that just, you were yep, there. Yep. What? How did that boost you and help you get to then the NFL, which was the next step? Um, so the reason that I went to Wake Forest was my defensive coordinator when I was playing at the University of Minnesota went there. He was he was in Minnesota 2016, my last year, and then he became the defensive coordinator at Wake Forest in 2017. So that was kind of my avenue in and I'm Jay Savell I'm I'm really appreciative he brought me into this coaching world you know it's not easy to get those jobs when you're just getting out you got no nothing to show for right that you I don't know how to work XOs the Vizio all the tools that you need to know as a quality control coach and so there was a learning curve there so what being there did was it kind of broke me in right you got to find an avenue to get in and and start learning the operation of things how to use the the technology, what it's like to be on the other end of things. You know, you're in the locker room. That's a completely different dynamic, right? And so going to Wake Forest was was a great experience. I was a, a volunteer quality control, and the people in that building, whether it was, you know, the head coach, the coordinator, the position coaches, the graduate assistants, they did a good, a great job with me helping me, helping me out, right? It wasn't a thing where it's like, hey, come sink or swim. They let me slowly kind of figure out how to do things and then as I got better more responsibility and that was you know that was a critical year for me because it 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 got me in and it it showed me that I wanted to coach and then you go to the NFL the next year I understand it's quality control coach uh, but still to be able to get that job after one season of college football you're with the Vikings how did that come about who approached you? Was it? Did you hear about it? And you had a contact. Luck. Well, okay. yes. But so here's what happened. Um, at my pro day. Okay, so I wasn't actually doing anything. I was, I think I was like probably in like a sling or something. Even too. I had, I just got shoulder surgery, and I showed up just to introduce myself to the Viking staff because the Viking staff was was actually running the pro day, and. The, the main contact I had who ended up being a, hu- a critical person in my career that was another person that really helped me out and, and helped shape my philosophies on defense was Jeff Howard, who's a linebacker coach now with the Chargers. And, you know, so I made that introduction. We were in contact. We would kind of bounce some thoughts off of each other. And it wasn't actually until that summer going into the 2018 season, I was still at Wake Forest. I wasn't with the Vikings yet, and, you know, we were on break. I was back in Minnesota because that's my hometown, and I was like, hey, would you want to, you know, meet up for coffee? And he's like, hey, buddy, like, you're not my friend. Like, let's get together and talk ball. I was like, great. Like, what do you want to talk about? And he, you know, he was like, well, you know, they had just lost to the Eagles in the NFC Championship game, and what was kind of big with the Eagles was their RPO game, and I'm at Wake Forest, who's – RPOs are phenomenal and he's like teach me about RPOs and what you guys do for those defenses or what you do for those offenses defensively and so I gave him a in a coffee shop somewhere in in Minneapolis I had a full presentation for him on here's how we defend second level RPOs third level RPOs all this stuff and it was like great conversation great finish and he's like hey by the way you know there's a quality control job that's open and I'd like to throw your name into the hat. Phenomenal. Sweet. Yeah. 
I'm absolutely for it. And so I ended up going to interview really like right at the start of training camp and ended up getting the job. So I didn't get hired till end of July, August. And so I was that first year in Minnesota, I was like, whoo, you know, swimming a little bit or not swimming, but getting caught up fast. Sure. Because I talked to Rick Spielman. He, he took total credit for hiring you. No, I'm kidding. But Rick, who is obviously the longtime GM yeah. there. And, um, and and you got to know JG in Minnesota. Did you know him prior to that? So I did not actually work with JG in Minnesota. So he, he had already left. He had already left. So when JG actually left, that's what opened up a spot for me. Gotcha. Okay. And through Jeff Howard, who helped get me in the door at Minnesota, introduced me to JG, a couple years of talking ball, talking at the combine, sparked a relationship and got me connected with, with JG. So you go to Philadelphia, you're there 2021 and 2022. What was the experience like there? And in particular, playing in a Super Bowl? Ooh. Um, every, every stop, I, you know, you learn a lot. Um, I just like when you talk about your experience, my experience in Philly, what comes to my mind is like growth. I learned a lot from Nick Sirianni and other people in that building, Harry Roseman, Jonathan, obviously being at his side, other, other coaches on, on both sides of the ball and Sirianni, he demands detail and not just the detail of defense, the detail of situational ball, the details of ball security, taking the ball away, tackling, offensive football. Like, it was a PhD in ball. And, like, I can't, I can honestly say without going there, I would not be the coach that I am today. Um, and, you know, talk about being in the Super Bowl, it's like, it's the players, man. We had a, we had great players. We had guys that weren't just great on the field, but they're leaders. They're locker room guys. They they cared about the game. Um, the it's the the game is all about the players, and the coach's job is to serve the players. And in Philly, I got lucky to be around some really really great guys, both sides of the football, right? Not just the guys I coached in the linebacker room, which were phenomenal players as well, and you know that that helps lead to success it's interesting because i know jg's coaching career started because of injury when he was at louisville you obviously dealt with injuries at minnesota it's interesting when you look back and i I feel like a lot of guys their coaching careers start prematurely because they can't play anymore and when you look back at your career in minnesota as a player like did the injuries help you mature do they cause you to become an adult a little bit quicker because the the dream of maybe playing in the NFL was harder to reach because you had had to battle the injuries does that make sense um I think I have a little bit more of a realistic mindset than JG uh, as far as I think he thinks he'd still be playing in the NFL if he didn't hurt (laughs) his hip I think I have a real realistic expectation of myself that I looking back I probably wasn't an NFL talent so but you were a good player yeah, was, when you were healthy, you're good. Because I remember I did a ton of your games. We were there a lot, so like the two coldest games I had ever called were against Wisconsin. Yes, there was one where Gary Anderson was a head coach of Wisconsin, and I swear he had no hat on. And our uh, sideline reporter in the post game interview, like if he would have reached up and he could have like 
if he'd have grabbed his ear, it would have like snapped bro- off. It would have broken a piece off. Like there were some was cool, it was some cold games because you'd play Wisconsin usually that last game yes. of the year, and it was yeah up in Minnesota. You'd you'd be walking out of the locker room, you'd turn out of that tunnel, and then the wind's hitting you, and you're like, oh gosh, that's that's the kind of game it is. But yeah, there's some cold games. I don't, you know, I don't think the injuries really necessarily changed the course of my career. I think, you know, I ended up I ended up playing probably the most my last year, right? So I was able to to come back from those injuries. But I think the injuries did teach me the importance of psychological preparation for the game, uh, because when when players go through injuries, it's that it's it's hard physically but it's it's very hard mentally and it teaches you a certain resilience um and you gotta you gotta you're you're in a dark spot sometimes when you're hurt and i i see players on the league when they're hurt you know that's why i'm i'm very cognizant to constantly be checking up with them because they're going through it mentally and you got well you gotta just constantly remind them hey man Every day, do everything that you can to get better. And then you, you go to bed and you, you rest knowing that you did everything you could. I know it hurts that you're not out here right now with your teammates, but keep doing what you're doing. You'll be back before you know it. And it, that, that, that builds some resilience. You touched on the cold weather games. Did you play in the snow game against Ohio State? I had a tor- I, that was when I tore okay. my knee. I did not play in that game. Looked fun though. It, I kind of I kind of miss not playing in that it, game. It was fun being in the booth, not on the field, because it was snowing like crazy. And then I remember doing a game in September against TCU. I think they were like number two in the country. Were you playing that year? I had just I barely got back for the okay. start of the year. I want to say I maybe got a couple snaps in that game. And you played for Jerry Kill, and then you also played for a guy that, uh, as broadcasters, we kind of had a fun nickname for him. We called him the Undertaker. Because he looked a little bit like the pro wrestler, The Undertaker. Coach Clay? Because he's a big dude. <laughs> and he used to wear like a hat. He had a hat at practice. I've I think ne- it was a cowboy hat that he had on at practice. He would wear this. I think he would wear the straw hat. Oh, yeah. Protect yeah. from, from the sun. Yeah, but it was like, a hat. But he, he reminded kind of a little bit of The Undertaker. I never, I never made that connection before. Well, it, it's a bad segue. I was trying to get us <laughs> to the wrestling. You're trying to go to wrestling. Let's just go to wrestling. Because you knew it was coming. If you're going to come on here. So, all right, your brother, Mike, he keeps changing names. So he is now Riddick Moss. Yes. He was Madcap Moss. Yes. But Moss has always been a part of it because of Randy Moss. Dang right. And you guys were diehard Randy Moss fans growing up. Absolutely. So why did he go the pro wrestling route and you did not? Um, You know, I, I wanted to stay around the game. Um, he, he was actually either going to go into coaching himself, um, or going to wrestling. He chose wrestling. I think he, he liked the, the idea of, of being an athlete still, right. And physically preparing yourself. And, you know, I ended up just choosing football. I felt like it was going to be a, a better career, better fit for me. Um, so that's. I guess that's how it went down. And I guess you were in some way talking smack about him when you got hired, and so he tweeted out a video of when you were kids, and the movie put on you. He called the Diamond Cutter. To yeah. me, is Diamond, like a, Diamond Dallas Page. Okay. Yeah. See, like as a as a guy that kind of grew up in the '80s, like I remember the pile driver it looked like a pile driver. What's the difference? Um, the Diamond Cutter. Let's see, DDP. He would he. 
he kind of got he would come around from the side get your neck kind of over his shoulder and he <laughs> fell on his back and and the the guy would fall on his face you're kind of asking the wrong guy. I'm a I football know. coach. Well, what the heck? Man, let's put get, me on the spot. Well, get your brother. <laughs> let's get the two of you. So, like, I, I'm curious. So, has he talked to you about like how he? Because you train for it, but it, there's acting. Obviously, it's choreographed. Yeah, it's sports entertainment. Right. Right. You're you're it, like the the worst thing to say is it's not real. No, it's real. Like what they put their sure. bodies through is oh, real. Yeah. It's it is scripted. Right. And so the there's an aspect of you have to be in great physical shape to do it, but it, it is entertainment. All right. Since you said you're a football coach, let's talk football. I've been throwing a lot of hard balls at you here the first 15 well, minutes. Well, let's, so. let's, let's end this with the wrestling thing. If you want to see some, some good wrestling, me and him did put on a match when, when I was in college and he was heading to the WWE. A real match. Get your hands on that video. Yeah. So when you say a real match, like – was there choreography, or were you just the two of you were going toe to toe? WWE match. Okay. Yeah. And there is video somewhere, so we can Some, somewhere you got to go digging. I don't know where you it have is. it. I, I don't have it. Does your brother have it? Can, I'm can not we sure. get it? Okay, I'm we need to sure. somehow get this and and get it. On it the was air. a great match. I won't spoil the ending for you. You have to check it out yourself. Okay. There was a storyline and everything. It was there was a we had a you know one of the fake WWE belts and we called it the LWLs, the Locker Room Wrestling League. <laughs> And it was a storyline that he was he was now leaving to go to the WWE. So he was kind of hanging around. So he was done playing. He was hanging around training there. And his big the big uh, storyline was that he was leaving with the belt. And so the match was for the belt. I, I was keeping him from leaving with the belt for the LWL. So I'm not going to spoil it then. you got to go back and watch. Let me at least ask a follow-up. If you indeed did win this match, would you still have this belt? Um, if, if I, I'm sure, eh, maybe not. I don't know. I guess you'd have to contact my parents and see what's down in the basement. Okay. <laughs> All right. Coach, you were talking about Shay Thompson. Weren't you saying there was something else that connected the two of you along with your brother? Yeah. So Shay is, I don't want to, I don't know exactly, but he is far along with his belts in jujitsu. So do not mess with Shay. He will choke you out. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, when I was in college and I think my brother was moving on to the WWE during our, you know, downtime in like the indoor, the football field, Shay would actually take us through jujitsu training using the, the Gracie's teaching. And so Shay would be sitting there instructing, demonstrating for us, and we would be on the ground rolling with each other learning jujitsu. And so I do remember one time that we did decide, hey, let's let's roll, right? That's the term, you know, for like, hey, let's kind of spar. And we ended up sparring for for probably a good, you know, five minutes. You get like a good someone who's good in jujitsu does not get tired, right? That's the whole purpose. You, you want to be able to conserve your energy. We're like on the ground, <laughs> and we're like constantly battling each other. The match ended. No, I shouldn't call it a match. It's not a match. But it ended with terrible jujitsu technique. My brother has me pinned on the ground with his hand on my throat, just choking me. And I'm close to passing out. I refuse to tap. So he ended up 
he was a pretty good brother. He he just he got off and we started laughing like what kind of terrible jujitsu was that <laughs> towards the end? But I don't know. I just I guess I was refusing to tap. You know, you just kind of give the little tap tap like when it's over. None of us, neither of us tapped, but he was he. I just remember he ended up with his hand on my throat and just started squeezing away and it just started kind of going black on me and I and then he let up but you you didn't tap out because you would you refused to tap out to your brother I refused to tap out now he if he would have put me in some real jiu-jitsu where I felt you know your arms start to break or something like that you're gonna tap pretty quick I can't say I'm some kind of mental warrior (laughs) but I was willing to I was willing to pass out Good stuff. On to football, which uh, is the reason you're on the show. But this has been great talking about this. So we talked a little bit about calling the defense. You were down on the field for the yep. first game. Are you going to be up in the booth? I'm going to stay down. The original okay. plan was to kind of test out both during preseason. And, you know, honestly, I, I I liked it down on the field. I've spent most of my career in the booth. I was actually in the booth last season in Philly. Um, I thought it was kind of the best playoff of, of JG being on the field. And I felt like I see things really well in the, in the box. I spent one year on the sideline in 2021 in Philly, and I did not like it. But, you know, when you're, when you're a position coach and you're on the sideline, you're sub and you got to stand somewhere near the ball. When you're, when you're calling it, you can stand either way behind the defense or way behind the offense, and, you know, you see a lot more. And so I was like, I, I can see everything that I need to see. I like being down on the field for the communication piece to my coaches, um, to JG, to the players. So I liked it down there. How much communication do you think there will be in game once the regular season gets going between you and JG? Is that a constant thing or is he pretty much just letting you handle it? If he wants to chime in or ask a question, he will. Yeah, I think honestly, I, I would say that he he lets us defensively as coaches go but I think we actually will seek him out more often hey JG what do you think of this should we do this this or this like we're not going to let he he's awesome to work for in that regard but I'm not going to let his brain go unused you know what I'm saying I'm going to constantly be picking it so that kind of exists in the building on a normal work day but also on those headsets definitely kind of feeding off of each other are your philosophies pretty much the same do you see the game differently we see the game very similar and i think that's why we have really good rapport you know i did a lot of um micah parsons games at penn state and i don't believe he played outside at all if i recall i think he was just an inside linebacker and then obviously the cowboys put him outside the rest is history it's interesting watching zavin collins you guys are taking a guy that played solely inside backer at tulsa played a little bit off the edge last year he played some off the edge in college too okay but primarily was an inside so, linebacker. So far in the league, yeah, he's been primarily in the inside. What are you seeing out of him that you think – I'm not comparing to Micah Parsons, but look, this guy's an elite athlete. He's 6'3", he's 265. What do you see in him that says this guy could be a, an excellent pass rusher? Obviously, you guys coach Hassan Reddick, but he was a pass rusher in college who we tried to turn into an inside linebacker, and that, that didn't work out too well. And then obviously, you know, was great for you guys in Philly yeah. last year. Um, I think like – First off, with Zaven, he is such a physical freak that you can use him in multiple ways, right? Um, whether that's on the edge, stacked inside, whatever, he has the physical ability and the brain to do it, right? And so that's one thing that not necessarily everybody has. 
And when I talk about the brain and not just knowing what to do, but being able to process, right? Being inside is such a processing position. What I love that I've seen from him when he's on the edge is I think you can kind of let it loose a little bit more when you're playing with a little bit less vision on everything. Your, your vision shrinks a little bit on the edge and, and you can let your physical tools completely take over. And like you said, he's a physical freak and that's where I'm, I'm seeing him just use those tools and go make plays off the edge. Kaiser White has not played yet in the preseason, was with you guys in Philadelphia. What is it about him that you a reason you guys targeted him is hey we need to bring him with us here to be one of the centerpieces of our defense. Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of things with Kaiser. Um obviously when you're with somebody anybody can watch the tape and recognize that Kaiser's a really good linebacker, right? He's he's big, he's fast, he's violent, he's got really good cover skills, former safety. Um but the thing that when you're in the dirt with him is you realize how intelligent he is how he can run the show that's such an important position to get everything aligned and situated and knowing that he could do that knowing the type of leader that he is the type of locker room guy that he is and I, I Kaiser he's one of my favorites you know I, I I love that guy and it was it was a no-brainer how's Isaiah Simmons coming along because you know you go back to Clemson he played all over the place and then you know tried to play linebacker here tried to play safety here the position that you guys have him in now, a lot of times he's like the deepest guy. Is that where you see him ha- having the chance to have the most success and sustain something in the NFL? Well, you know, I think similar to the conversation with Zavin, like he can do a lot because he is so physically gifted. And sometimes as a coach, you want to try to overdo it. Oh, we could use him this way. We could use him this way. Um, so far with, you know, playing, playing in the back end, he's, done a phenomenal job at just getting better every single day at at playing defensive back and the thing that I love of him back there is he is so physically gifted and rangy right and he's going to be able to make plays when he's when he's a little bit lower when he's blitzing when he's down in the box in the run game because he's he's a big physical dude but not everyone has the ability to cover grass like he does and so I think he can make plays all over the field um, I plan for him to make plays all over the field, but he is doing a phenomenal job so far throughout training camp. How would you assess the the corner position right now? Great competition. Um, guys that are locked in and improving every day. I'm seeing a lot of growth. I'm seeing the competition get really tight, but also a, a room that is uh, together. Um, and those guys want to see each other get better and are pushing each other. And I'm happy with the progress. We got a lot more progress to make, but I'm excited over the next however many weeks of camp we have left to see who really steps in and takes certain roles. Keytrell, who played at Louisville, six-round draft pick. I'm, I'm just, based on what I'm watching, like it looked like he belonged. Yeah. The game was not too big for him when you go back and watch the film of this first preseason game, what did you see? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I've seen Keytrail in practice too. I know that he can get from A to B, right? He's, he's fast. He's sticky on routes. And um, he's shown that throughout training camp, and he showed that in the first preseason game. What I also love about Keytrail is he is he's ferocious. You know, he's not the biggest guy, but he plays big. 
and he ain't turning down any kind of contact. And I, I, I do appreciate that with his game as well. We saw a lot of batted footballs. We saw, obviously, the block on, on the field goal on special teams. It feels like a little bit of a cliche question because I know everybody works on it, but why do you think it worked this past game, and do you think that's something that we're going to see a lot of this year? I hope. I, I, I do hope they did a great job. It's obviously it's something that we work on and harp on and constantly coach in the meeting and, I mean, give credit to the players. Like, they went out there and got it done. You know, sometimes you can – sit here and, and talk about it and practice it all you want. But if, if they don't go to ex, go execute it, it, it just doesn't happen, you know, and, and they went out there and in situations where they could, whether they won on their rush and they matched the quarterback's hand or they were stalled and got their hands up or they recognized quick game and they got their hands up, they did a phenomenal job. And I would love if that continues throughout the season without a doubt, because tip passes, obviously, you know, they completely take away a, a pass play, but they lead to interceptions, right? And takeaways are a huge statistic towards winning games. So it's something we're going to keep practicing. It's something that we're going to keep harping on. And I hope it's something that they, I keep seeing show up in the game. Last one for you, Coach. Uh, anybody in particular, or if you want to name a few guys that have really stood out to you that maybe you weren't sure about coming into camp, either they were veterans who had bounced around or undrafted players that – uh, nobody knew much about you know who who are some of those guys to you so far? Oh gosh, um, I mean we could talk for a minute here. I guess I'll I'll start with the linebacker room. Uh, Josh Woods, Chris Barnes, and Zeke Turner are are vets that are playing really good linebacker play right now, and I'm glad those guys are here. They're pushing each other, and I'm just seeing steady in the game. I saw very physical play guys attacking the football, playing big in the run. And then they got two rookies below them that are playing really good too. So, you know, that's a that's a room that's popped out that maybe around the league there's there's not as much recognition, but being in the dirt with those guys, I I got a lot of appreciation for how they're playing. And honestly, I could keep going with every position on that. Well, listen, man, I appreciate the time. I've got some homework to do, and that's to somehow find this video you against your brother. We also need to get to the bottom of what happened between your brother and Baron Corbin because Baron Corbin is actually a former Cardinals player, Tom Pestock. Mm-hmm. So we need to get to the bottom of that unless you have inside information because I guess they formed an alliance at one point, but now they're mortal enemies. Is that true? Yeah, you know, uh, Baron Corbin, he just he just started treating Riddick Moss not great. You know, Riddick Moss was his, was his kind of his sidekick and – you know, he started blaming him on losses, and it just created a feud. And I, I, those guys, they're just they're just not close anymore because of it. Well, hopefully the same uh, does not happen with you and JG. I, <laughs> I, I don't think we have to worry about that. Hey, man, I really appreciate the time, Nick. Thank Thanks. you. Appreciate right. it. I think we could have talked with Coach Rollis for another half hour just on wrestling and jujitsu. Man, that's some wild stuff. The battles between... <laughs> Him and his brother and his refusal to tap out during a jiu-jitsu match. And we're going to have to find this uh, video and figure out who actually won the wrestling match between him and his brother. But most importantly, for Cardinal fans, getting a feel for Nick as a person, his philosophy on football. And again, going back to the comment that JG told us during our production meeting that he, he thinks Nick Rollis is a better play caller than he is. We got to see it in preseason game number one, and we'll get to see it again against the Chiefs on Saturday night. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts 
and casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod, and you can also rate us and tell us what you think on your podcast platform. Our thanks to defensive coordinator Nick Rollis, and thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. <laughs>